0: I would like for you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read two verses in chapter 10, and then we're going to look at several verses in chapter 11. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and hold your place there. For most of you, it'll be on the same page, and then we'll look together at chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Now go over to chapter 11 and find verse 23. Paul continuing here in his letter writes, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. Because he has not discerned the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many have slept or died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Well, we are continuing in our series on core convictions, how our theology as a church and our motives as a church express themselves practically. And so far, we have looked at seven core convictions, seven Practical expressions of our church theology and mission. We've looked at meaningful membership, gathering together, expository preaching, disciple making, gospel centrality, congregational singing, and then just last Sunday we looked at generous giving. All seven of these being practical expressions of our theology and mission as a church here at Laurel. Today we look at the eighth of these ten core convictions, and number eight is simply remembering Jesus. Remembering Jesus. And as I have done with each one of these core convictions, I want to give you a subtitle with this one as well, which is simply... That we celebrate our fellowship in the gospel by remembering Christ's sacrifice through regular and worshipful communion in the Lord's Supper. Let me say it again. I believe it's on the screen. We celebrate our fellowship in the gospel by remembering Christ's sacrifice through regular and worshipful communion in the Lord's Supper. Now some churches call it a sacrament, some communion, others the Eucharist. Of course the reason why it's called the Eucharist in many uh, churches is because the word Eucharist is derived from the Greek word Eucharistia which simply means thankfulness. So when we come to the Lord's table, we come with a mindset of thankfulness, so some call it a sacrament, some communion, some Eucharist. It's most often referred to in our church family as the Lord's Supper or communion. The Lord's Supper is an observance that Jesus instituted for the church on the night that he was betrayed by Judas and given over to be crucified. It serves to help us remember the substitutionary and sacrificial death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, many Christians in the church have a a small understanding of the Lord's Supper. They don't realize the significance that this new covenant sign, and that's what it is. It is a new covenant sign. It is a symbol of the new covenant that God has made available to us in Jesus through His grace. Many don't realize that this sign and symbol and the significance of it to our spiritual life. Covenant signs are like symbols that we use in our affections together. If we say that we love our spouse, we usually give signs or symbols of that love. A ring on our wedding day. A kiss. I'll, I'll stop there. But God provides the same for His children. He gives us signs. He gives us symbols of His affection. And we're glad for that. Because just like in any earthly relationship, whether it be with our spouse or our family or friendship, if one says that they love us but yet never shows us signs or symbols of that affection, we would begin to question it. My wife says she loved me but never kissed me. I either am not loved or have really bad breath. So God, in his affection toward us and his love, he gives us symbols. He gives us signs. He provides this for us. And the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about it this way, the Lord's Supper is such a sign. It's a kiss from God. It's a card. It's It's a dozen roses, if you will. It's a gift. And what he's saying to us as we come to the Lord's Supper regularly, God is saying, I don't ever want you to forget how much I love you. And here's the ring to prove it. Here's the symbol to prove it. The sign. And so that's why it's important for us to understand that the Lord's Supper is not some just religious, monotonous empty expression that the church does however often the church doesn't. It has intense spiritual significance to our lives. And it's why it is a core conviction of our church. I want to give you six words and they're just one word for each one. Six words that are essential to our understanding of the Lord's Supper. And my objective, although I could never cover this in its depth and breadth in one message, I simply want to give you a basic framework of why this is so important. And I want to do it in six words from our text here in 1 Corinthians 10 11. Here's the first word. It is the word communion, communion. The Lord's Supper is a communion. It's a communion. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There, don't don't close your Bibles on me. Let's look together at these verses. Don't take my word for it. I want you to see what God says about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So, so, so two things in relation to communion that Paul tells us in verses 16 and 17 that the Lord's Supper does. Uh, first, the Lord's Supper is communion with Christ. It's communion with Christ again is this not the communion of the blood of Christ is the bread that we break not the communion of the body of Christ it's important that we understand the word communion here it's the Greek word koinonia koinonia it can be translated communion or fellowship it speaks of an intimate intimate connection with someone And this is a beautiful expression of what happens at the Lord's Supper because when we come to the table, we are experiencing a deepened sense of communion with the presence of Christ because the Bible teaches us that Jesus promises to meet us in a special way at the table. After all, He's the supper host. We're not preparing the table for Him. He's prepared it for us. He's the host. It's His table. It's His supper. It's His cup. It's His bread. It's His body. It's His day. And how awesome is it to think that He, the God of heaven, has invited us to come today And feast on him to commune with him through the emblems of the cup and the bread. He's inviting us to a dinner that he's prepared. And he says, come to my house, take, eat, drink, and be full. You say, well, Pastor, I struggle with that little piece of bread and that little cup to think I can leave full. You're thinking the wrong thing here. This is not physical. This is spiritual. There is a spiritual dimension. There is a spiritual meeting, a spiritual communion that comes when Jesus meets with us at his table. We leave satisfied in him. You see, although He is not physically present, He is spiritually present. And through the Lord's table, He is allowing us to commune with Him through this celebration of what He has accomplished for us. And I think it's important that we understand this to be a celebration. Because, listen carefully, communion is not a funeral. We approach it reverently. But it's not a funeral. No, we don't come to the table and mourn the loss of someone who's not here. Think about it. We come to the table and celebrate the presence of the one who is here and has made a way for us to be with him. We come to celebrate our living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wants us to know the Lord's Supper is a communion. You should take it seriously because it is a special expression of the presence of God when you eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's communion with Christ. But it's not just communion with Christ, church family. It's communion also with his church, with his church. And this is so very important. For while the Lord's Supper is personal, it's never intended to be private. It's an ordinance of the church to be carried out with the church in order that the church may commune with Christ and one another together as the church. And that's what he says in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For we, he's speaking of the church, particularly in this context, the church at Corinth, in our context, the church at Laurel, for we, though many, though many, we have many here today, though we are many, we have one bread and one body and we all come together to partake, to eat of that one bread. So it implies here that the church is to do this together, not in isolation. This passage is not only one of several that indicate that the Lord's Supper is to be practiced only by baptized believers in the gospel. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But it also indicates that the participation of the Lord's Supper is to take place in the assembled congregation of the body. The Lord's Supper is to take place in the assembled congregation of the body. This is why I personally, when asked, do not do communion at the weddings I officiate. This is why we didn't jump on the bandwagon of drive through communions when churches found it the cool thing to do during the pandemic. It never once seemed right to me that we throw out the Bible's teaching just because of a crisis. I don't believe the scripture teaches an online communion. So as your pastor, I do not suggest you take communion in the privacy of your home at a wedding or even a Bible study where other believers happen to be present. A Bible study is not a church. Biblically speaking, this is reserved for the gathered church where many become one, where many become one as they eat and drink together, together. So the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 11 emphasizes the Lord's Supper within the context of the church coming together. Think about it. Just in the pure understandings of the words, sometimes we miss deep theological truth when we fail to just think about the implication of the word itself. It's like people who believe you can lose your salvation. Well, Jesus said it is eternal salvation. Just think about the word for just a moment. Something that is eternal cannot be lost. All right, think about it in the term of the Lord's Supper here for a moment. What does he call it? He calls it communion. Communion. So taking communion at home in separation from the body is actually not communion at all. It's technically anti-communion. Because the word communion itself implies an intimate fellowship that is taking place together. And that's why it's important that you join a church. That's why it's important that you be baptized. That's why it's important that you come to the church gatherings. Because it's in the presence of the people that God reveals himself in a special way through these ordinances of the church. It is a communion. A communion. All right, second word is the Lord's Supper is a commemoration. The Lord's Supper is a commemoration. All right, now we move to chapter 11. Look at at, at chapter 11, verse 23. They're very familiar. We hardly ever do communion, the Lord's Supper here at the church, without reading this passage. For I receive, verse 23, from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat it, he says. As often as you drink it, here it is, do this in remembrance of me. It's commemoration commemoration now this is important because this is going to help some of you who come from especially non-Protestant backgrounds, Catholic backgrounds perhaps we do not participate in communion to be forgiven of our sins or to earn Christ's salvation no salvation, let me remind you is by faith alone in Christ alone it's not faith in Christ and my good works. faith in Christ and my baptism. Faith in Christ and my, faith in Christ and my communion. No, all sins are forgiven at the moment you place your faith in Christ alone. So when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, we are not doing so in order for our sins to be further forgiven. They're never more forgiven than what they are right now as you stand in the grace of Jesus. Communion is a symbol. It's a sign. It's that kiss, right? It's that wedding ring. We're not offering up Christ as a new sacrifice, No, every time we eat of the bread and drink of the cup in our assembly together, we are remembering, we are commemorating what God has given to us in Christ Jesus through his once and for all sacrifice for sins. We are remembering as we eat the bread, we are remembering as we drink of the cup what he has actually done on the cross. That Christ on the cross took what was ours. Think of this. Our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death. He took what was ours in order that by faith we might receive what is His. His righteousness. His perfected standing before God. His fellowship with the Father, all of which we do not have without faith in Jesus Christ. So we're commemorating, we're remembering these things, and I think this is why we should work hard to keep the Lord's Supper from becoming a meaningless exercise in our lives. This is why we give space in our services for deep reflection, silent prayers, We do this in all aspects of our services, especially, though, when we come to the table. You see, we have a lot going on in our service today. We have a long-winded preacher. We have communion. We have several adults being baptized. We're not going to be tempted to nix out the prayer, the reflection, the serious reverence of the Lord's table. What will nix is the announcements. You can read, pick up a worship guide. Amen. So we must give space for what this moment is supposed to be. Deep reflection. We sit here as we eat and drink, as we pray, as we listen to others play, as we sing, we are remembering His bloody, broken body on the cross in the place of mind. We think of our separation from Him and the wrath of sin that was laid upon His shoulders. But we also remember the new covenant that through His broken body and shed blood, there is a promise that all who come to the Father through faith in the Son are made children of God. We remember where God has brought us from. We're Remembering where God brought us to. We're remembering what He continues to do in saving us today from ourselves. You see, the Lord's Supper calls us to stop. Remember. Worship. It's a commemoration. It's a communion. Number three, the Lord's Supper is a repetition. It's a repetition. We see this in verse 26, and I put this word in only because it is important that we see the Lord's Supper as something that Christ intended for us to repeat often in our church worship, to repeat often, right? Baptism is something we do uh, once, biblically that is, by immersion as we follow Christ as Savior. Uh, The Lord's Supper is something that we do regularly, routinely, all the time. uh, In fact, verse 25, chapter 11, verse 25, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So twice it says here, we are to come to the Lord's table often. And of course, obviously, the question that is frequently asked is how often is Often. Well, often. Often. Think about it. When the Bible says that we need to come to the Lord's table often, it's not only in the pattern of our church worship, which for now our congregation, we have grown in this, by the way. I regrettably tell you that this has not always been my mindset about the Lord's Supper. God had to teach me, what I was missing in the communion aspect of corporate gathering. Because in my mind, I don't know how you grew up, it was twice a year. You come to the Lord's table on Christmas, and you come to the Lord's table on Easter. Easter. Right, yeah. And uh, I made a decision... Oh, about eight, ten years ago that I was going to stop going to pastor's conferences who told me stuff that I was already convinced of. You know, like what we should and should not rare, what translations of the Bible we should use, all that phony baloney stuff. And I said, I'm going to start sitting under men who actually helped me understand who Jesus is and the doctrine of his word. And I did that. And one of the very first meetings I ever went to, I heard at a pastor's conference a message on the Lord's Supper. And I left thinking to myself, I don't know that I've ever actually participated now in the Lord's Supper. I was so ashamed at how frivolous I was with it, how routine-oriented it had become, how infrequently we did it. And so this is one of these things that God has grown my own heart in. And there may come a day we do it every week, I don't know, but it's at least once a month right now. Regularly, often, monthly, we're coming together around the Lord's table because that's what God is calling us to do. In the pattern of our worship, we need to routinely, as a congregation, stop, remember, and worship. But it's not just in the pattern of our worship. It's also emphasizing here in the frequency of your participation, in your participation. Now, I I don't mean to convict or indict in an unnecessary way. But if you can't remember the last time you came to the Lord's table, you either need to join a church, switch a church, or start being faithful to church. Because it's not just about what the church does as a program. And sometimes we, we let that work as some kind of spiritual novocaine in our hearts. You know, We don't tell people about Jesus because we know our church is telling people, and so that kind of works for me. Uh, we, we don't always go to communion because we know the church has it on the schedule. And as long as the church has it on the schedule, it makes us feel better about joining a church that has it regularly on the schedule. No, it's not just about what the church puts on the schedule, friend. It's about what you are doing in routine participation. Are you often coming to the table? Well, I, I spent way too much time than I intended there. But it is to be a repetition in our life, a repetition. All right, number four, the fourth word. It's a proclamation. It's a proclamation. It's a communion. It's a commemoration. It's a repetition. It's a proclamation. So what he's telling us in verse 26 is that what happens at the Lord's Supper is a, is a sermon. I, I, find the, I find this very interesting. I was just recently getting to know some new families in our church, and they were telling me about the church background they came, up, came, came from. And they, they said in their culture there's three sermons on a Sunday, which I think we ought to sign up for. <laughs> now, we technically only have one sermon on a Sunday, okay? On a, and, and by the way, we're not talking about one in the morning, then come back at 2, and then come back at 7. No, they do three services all at 11 a.m., okay? Um, but you know, so do we. We've been talking about this in our core convictions, haven't we? When we sing the gospel, what are we doing? We are singing the Bible, We are singing a sermon. We are discipling each other. When we open the word of God and hear this loud mouth pastor preach, we are hearing a sermon. And look, he says in verse 26 that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are delivering a sermon. By coming to the table, we are preaching the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again to bring us salvation in him. Look at what he says there in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death, his gospel, until he comes. You see, another reason it is meant to be taken together... And not in isolation, is because when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, we're extending an invitation to one another. You're inviting the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, to come and rest in the gospel. That though you may be weary, though. Though you may have walked in here burdened with a thousand things on your mind, when we eat the bread and we drink of the cup, we're preaching to each other. We're saying there is rest in Christ. There is hope in the gospel. Come, take, eat, drink, and be satisfied in Him. At the table of the Lord's Supper, Supper, we are all preaching the gospel. We are all preaching it when we sing. We're all preaching it in a moment like this. I'm preaching it by speaking it. You're preaching it by listening to it. And we all preach the gospel when we take the Lord's Supper. And the next time somebody asks you, when you come to church, oh, who's, who's, who's preaching this Sunday? You should look at him and tell them, especially if you're a woman. You should look at them and tell them, I am. Now, now give it a caveat so they don't think that we've kind of like threw out the Bible. I am. I'm going to preach it by being there. I'm going to preach it when I sing the gospel songs. I'm going to preach it when I... Give my heart and stillness and silence to the pastor. I'm going to preach it when I take the Lord's Supper because when we come to church, I'm not the only one preaching. We are all preaching the gospel of Jesus. Here's the fifth word. It's the word anticipation. Anticipation. It's a communion. It's a commemoration. It's a repetition. It's a proclamation. It's an anticipation. Look again at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Do this until he comes. There's an emphasis here. That when you do this, I want you to think about that he's coming again, right? This is, this is the beauty of the church's participation in the Lord's Supper. is that, that it not only calls us to regularly look back, but it also calls us to regularly look forward. To, yes, rejoice in what Christ has done for us, but to also rejoice in what Christ will do for us. Us That he has come once to defeat sin and death, but he's coming again to receive his chosen people unto himself. And perhaps this morning as you are weighed down by the turmoil of life, you can look into the cup, you can eat of the bread, and you can pray as John prayed. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said to his disciples who were partaking with him, Mark 14, 25, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. In other words, he was pointing forward to the day when at the Lord's return, we will experience that great marriage supper of the Lamb that is described for us so vividly in Revelation 21 and 22. I want you to think about it this. What we are doing in the Lord's Supper today and every time we do it, it's not the meal. It's the appetizer. And like an appetizer, it serves to remind us That the meal is coming. The meal is coming. That's why I never come to the Lord's table as pastor and leader of the service without thinking, I wonder, will this be the final time that I serve the Lord's Supper to our people? Could this be the final time that we take communion together as a church? Because one day, King Jesus himself, our great shepherd, will lead us in a feast at his table. A marriage feast. A marriage feast that is paid for by the blood of the lamb. A marriage feast Where the father of the bride and the father of the groom happens to be the exact same fathers. It's an anticipation of what is to come. And finally, it's an examination. It's an examination. So it, it, it's communion, it's commemoration, it's repetition, it's proclamation, it's anticipation. And then we, when we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, it also serves as an examination. So the Corinthian church for context here. And some of you Bible students know this, but if you're hearing this for the first time, I want to, I want to set up some context, some framework for you. The church at Corinth had abused the Lord's Supper. That's one of the reasons why he's even writing about it here is because they had taken what was supposed to be sacred and reverential and holy and all the things that we've talked about today and they literally made it about themselves. They abused it. They were eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, not discerning the Lord's body. And so they're given a warning here that to abuse the Lord's table is to bring potential judgment or discipline from the Lord. And Paul even gives us an example of what that discipline had looked like for that church. All right, look look at this because some of you are going to need to see it for yourself to believe it. But, But look there at verse 30. Paul said... For this reason, many in your church are weak, many in your church are sick, and many in your church sleep or have died. All right, so that's strong, isn't it? Whatever they were doing in abusing the Lord's Supper, it had brought such severe discipline on their lives that some of this chaos that was among them was a result of their irreverence regarding the Lord's table. Now, I I don't know about you, but when I read something like this, I I want to be clear that I'm observing properly. And as a church, we ought to feel that way. All of these things have been given to us as an example. So when we see that there's a potential here of God's discipline on a church, on an individual for not observing the right way, let's be sure, church family, that we are observing properly. And to ensure that we are Paul calls us to self-examination. Self-examination. Look at it in verse 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, what does this mean? Well, first, by, by implication, the entire passage, as we've already alluded to, reinforces that the Lord's Supper is reserved only for those who are believers in the gospel. That's where we have to begin. To be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus is to insinuate that as a non-Christian, I can eat of the bread, I can drink of the vine, and somehow that work is going to earn me God's forgiveness and salvation in my life. So, so we understand that there is an examination that should always take place prior to participation. And that examination is of faith alone in Christ alone. Am I a believer? Have I come to Christ and Him alone? Or am I trusting in myself? I'm trusting in the church. Am I trusting in religious deeds? What is it that I am trusting in? Because the Bible says that unless you and I are trusting in Christ alone, Christ alone, then we've not received his gift of salvation. So there is an examination that every one of us needs to take, play, have in our lives before we experience participation. Have I put my faith in Christ alone? And let me just be clear, today or any time, a person should never engage in the Lord's Supper without a credible profession of faith and of course we believe the scripture emphasizes that credible professions of faith are done through baptism and church membership. But what about believers within the warning here in 1 Corinthians 11 not to eat and drink in an unworthy manner. Let's get more specific. We we understand about non-believers that this is something that they're not to do. But what about believers? What constitutes you and I coming to the table in an unworthy manner? I recognize in the various backgrounds that are represented by our congregation that you might have heard a whole lot of different stuff about this. Some of you have been fearful about the Lord's Supper in thinking that if there is any imperfection in your life, That you're not allowed to take it. Because if you take it with imperfections, then you're gonna be reaping the discipline and judgment of God on your life. Well, let's back up and see what the Bible actually says. For one, it says here not to take it in an unworthy manner, it doesn't say an unworthy individual. There's a huge difference. That's why if you still use an old King James, it, 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 it's, it uses the word, don't do it unworthily. And it's even italicized, which means it's not in the original text. And so, so, so it breeds a lot of confusion about being unworthy people. But that's not what it means. I appreciate the, the, the correction here in, in the New King James, the ESV, whatever it is that you, you use. It, it's talking about an unworthy manner, not an unworthy individual. That's important because we could never make ourselves worthy of Christ. His gospel is a gospel of grace because we're unworthy of it. None of us are worthy to come to the table. None of us are worthy of the gospel. None of us are worthy to be called by him. None of us are worthy of his grace and eternal life. So this is not about making ourselves worthy. This is about the manner in which we approach the table. And it's to be a manner of repentance. So it's not, in case you've heard this, it's not... Don't come to the table if you've sinned. It's not that. No, think about the gospel. The gospel is not, don't come to Jesus if you're a sinner. No, Jesus said, I didn't come for people who think they're righteous, I came to people who know they're sinners. Same with the table. The message is not, don't come to the table if you're a sinner. No, it's if you are a sinner, come to the table and repent of your sin and be reminded of the mercy that you have in Jesus Christ. This is why we take very special note, and I believe Steve will do this for us today, of having a prayer of confession before we eat and drink. We want to lead you in repenting of sin, reconciling your heart with God and others so that you can approach the table the right way. The warning here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is to those who are unrepentant, those who are unwilling to turn from their sin. It would be like this. Think about it like this. It would be like eating the bread and drinking the cup with absolutely no desire to be right with God or others through faith and repentance. And the warning is is if you eat the bread and you drink the cup without any desire through faith and repentance to be right with God, then you are in a dangerous position that invites the discipline of God. It's like saying I believe the gospel But yet, my life doesn't match the gospel. Which, which brings me to the phrase here that he uses in verse 29, that the reason why they did this in an unworthy manner is because they had not discerned the Lord's body. Now, this is, this is often a debate of theological significance of what he actually meant here, but it seems to me that in the context of the chapter, which is how you have to always interpret Scripture... What does this verse say within this paragraph? What does this paragraph mean within this chapter? What does this chapter mean within the testament? And so on and so forth. And those proper hermeneutics leads me to see here that the Lord's body in verse 29 is not a reference to his physical body. It is a reference to his spiritual body, the church. The church. And not only had this church not discerned the Lord's body and how the church was to behave in coming to the Lord's table because you can read more of the context. They were actually hosting drunken parties and calling it the Lord's Supper. Right. Right. That would be like you going out and tailgating around Bank of America Stadium today with all the booze that you can think of out of your mind and saying, man, it was good to have the Lord's Supper today. No, that's a travesty. This is what they were doing. But they also lacked discernment in how the body of Christ was to treat one another. Throughout the letter, Paul is dealing with divisions in this church and factions in this church. So it may very well be that in this warning about coming to the table in an unworthy manner is also his indictment on the unrepentant nature of their disunity. The unrepentant nature of their division that those, listen carefully, hey, listen, this is so important. Those who were selfishly responsible for creating unrepentant division in the church were guilty of a serious offense. And therefore they were called to repentance and reconciliation as they came to the very supper that was intended to promote the unity of the gospel's power. So the Corinthians were not only drunk but they had exercised great division. They were fighting among themselves. There were factions that were keeping people away from participating if they didn't think they were good enough or in the right social class. This church was messed up. And it's very easy for churches to get messed up when they get their eyes off Jesus and start looking at themselves. So part of this implication of not discerning the Lord's body or coming in an unworthy manner is when we come to the table with no desire to be right with God and no desire, look right here, to be right with each other. And he says, be careful. Be careful that that's not your attitude. No, what you need to do is come to the table, repent of your sin, and reconcile yourself with the brother you're divided against. And thank God for his grace and mercy as you participate. So let's be clear. This is not a restriction necessarily of the Lord's Supper to believers. He's saying that unless you come to the table in the right manner with a genuine heart of repentance, then you are inviting the discipline of the Lord in your life. So he calls us to examination as we come to the table. Repent of our sins, reconcile with our brothers and sisters, and embrace the symbols of mercy and grace through the bread and the cup of blessing from our Lord. It's it's an examination that causes us routinely to make sure, look right here, that our hearts are right with God and with His church. Now, let me just say in closing, it's never just the Lord's Supper. You understand what I mean by that? It's never just the Lord's Supper. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming to the, the Christmas communion service because it's, it's just the Lord's Supper. Or, or fill in the blank, right? I'm going I'm to get out of here early, as soon as he... So We love to do that, man. It's like the math, the secret escape. we got FBI agents in this room that can't even find you. You get out so quick. <laughs> let's stand together for prayer. <laughs> Kick off set one. Hey, honey, as soon as he prays, let's go. It's just the Lord's Supper. It's just the Lord's Supper. It's never just the Lord's Supper. No, the Lord's Supper is a worshipful moment in the church when the body of Christ experiences special communion with the presence of Christ. And it's not optional for us. But if in your mind it has become optional, then perhaps the call this morning is for you to return to Christ, to see his gospel fresh, lest you become disciplined by the Lord. Let's stand as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning.